Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that this finds you and yours doing well, and I want to thank you for joining me. Maybe the audio is better today, is it? Uh, I, I would really appreciate your feedback. I've really been wrestling with this microphone. I've got an Audio Technica AT2020 Humdinger, what, whatchamajig. It's supposed to be a pretty good microphone, but um, I've had a few of you email and say that the uh, audio levels are not good and i have done everything i know and i finally found one little setting uh the within the microphone except itself it was at 80 percent and i bumped it up to a hundred percent and at least from what i can tell on the little squeakly lines that i'm looking at that are generated when i speak it appears to be a better volume so i hope that that helps but um shoot me a quick email if you don't mind justin at justinpeters.org and let me know how it's sounding to you okay well we continue our study today on lies we believe about god the new book from william paul young author of the shack and yesterday we talked about uh, a number of different things that he claims are lies that unfortunately actually happen to be true or uh if they're if if they're not lies he definitely twists their meaning we talked about how of course yesterday the big one uh you need to get saved he says that is a lie that is just oi that is, that is just hard for me to imagine that this man is actually considered to be a believer he's not well let's continue today today we will look at a couple of more lies uh Number 15, the 15th lie that he says we believe about God is this. Hell is separation from God. He says that is a lie. Let me read to you what he says on page 131 in, um, in his book, Lies We Believe About God. He says this, quote, For many, the crux and conflict of the question regarding hell is how we can posit an eternally good God whose very nature is love, allowing human beings to be in conscious torment and pain for infinite time, as if that were somehow just. End quote. Well, it is, as I said yesterday and the day before, this this man has a very inflated view of humans. He has a very inflated view of man and a very low view of God. He does not believe that people suffering in hell for all of eternity could possibly be just. Well, of course, he rejects he rejects total depravity. He does not believe that men are inherently bad, as the Bible teaches. He believes that men are inherently good, in contradiction to the clear teaching of the Bible. And so, of course, if that is your presupposition, that man is inherently good, of course, it stands to reason that you would recoil at the thought of hell. That um, uh, men, why send good men uh, to a place called hell? So everything stems, everything flows, all of his errors flow forth from that. An elevated view of man which necessitates and requires a very low view 
of God. I want to read to you another passage here on page 133, passage, to use that term, page 133, technically passage. I mean, we often think of that as Christians, we think of that as being um, a passage from the Bible, but you can read passages from uh, any any other book. So anyway, so let me read to you this excerpt, this passage, this section, whatever you want to call it, from Lies We Believe About God on page 133. He says, consider this simple line of reasoning. Either hell is a created place or thing, or it is not. Okay, I'll go along with that. That's true. It's either, hell is either created or it's not. Only two options. He says, continuing, if it is not created, then it must, by definition, be God who alone is uncreated. In this sense, hell would be God, who is a consuming fire. Your destiny would not be apart from God, but directly into God, who is love, light, goodness. So he says if hell is not created, then hell by definition must be God. And he takes what the Bible says, our God is a consuming fire. And he he says that that's not fires of uh, torment, that's the fires of God's love. So that's one alternative, according to William Paul Young. He continues... He says, the other alternative is that hell is a created place or thing. Consider this passage. Okay, here we go. This is this is where we're going to use our, our discernment muscles. We're going to flex some discernment here. All right? Flex some um, hermeneutics. Flex some hermeneutical muscles. All right? He says this. Uh, the other alternative is that hell is a, is a created place or thing. Consider this passage. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he says, uh, cites Romans 8, verses 38 through 39. This is a list of all the realities that cannot separate you from the love of God. What isn't in the list? Keeping in mind that it includes any created thing or any thing to come, question mark. Okay. All right. Here we go. I'll uh I'll uh I'll I'll play that game. Let's play that game with him. So Romans eight, thirty eight through thirty nine, which says that uh, nothing can separate us from God. Uh, and Paul gives the Apostle Paul gives a list, a long list of things here. Uh, neither things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other cre- nor any other created thing. So, his reasoning is that hell is a created thing, or if it is a created thing, Paul says that no created thing can ever separate us from God. So therefore, uh, people in hell cannot possibly be separated from God from His love. That's now if if you don't know a little bit about hermeneutics, not even a lot, but just some basics here, then that could seem like a a rather convincing line of argumentation, a rather convincing line of reasoning. Here's why he's wrong. Anytime you read the Bible, one of the the primary things that you've got to keep in mind, we have to keep in mind, to come to the right meaning, we've got to put ourselves in the shoes of the ones to whom it was originally written. In other words, we've got to consider who is Paul writing to here? Or who is Isaiah writing to? Or who is, you know, 
Daniel or or David or um, Peter, you know, who are they writing to? Who are their original? Who are the original recipients? If we come up with a meaning that would not have made sense to the original recipients, then it's the incorrect meaning. Okay, it's the incorrect meaning. Whatever meaning we come to, it has to have made sense to the original recipients. If it would not have made sense to them, then we've got the wrong meaning and we need to take another look. So who was Paul writing this to? Was he writing this to just anybody, anywhere? No, he was writing this to believers. He was writing this to Christians. This is the book of Romans, after all. He was writing to Christians. And so it is true that for Christians... No created thing can ever separate us from God. No created thing can ever separate us from the love of Christ. That is absolutely true for Christians. But that's not true for non-Christians. Paul was not writing this to non-believers, unbelievers. He was writing this to believers. That's the key. That's where he really, really, um, really gets it, gets it mess, messed up. Uh, Paul Young, William Paul Young, writes this. He says, In the shack, I tried to move the conversation about hell from the head to the heart by putting the main character, Mackenzie, in the crosshairs of a terrible dilemma. The dilemma was that Sophia, this other character in the shack, who was portrayed as a woman, uh, wisdom, a female who encapsulates, I guess, wisdom. Uh, Sophia demanded that Mackenzie choose between two of his children to go to heaven and three to go to hell. In the book, he had five children. In the movie, he only had uh, three. So anyway, this wisdom character, Sophia, demanded that he choose two of his children to go to heaven and three of them to go to hell. Um, notice William Paul Young, he says he's try, he tries to move the conversation about hell from the head to the heart. Okay, danger, danger, Will Robinson. What do we know about the heart? Well, the heart is desperately wicked it is deceitful above all things who can know it says the prophet jeremiah and we've already talked about this uh romans chapter 3 paul says there is none righteous no not one one of the common characteristics of false teachers is that they will encourage you to disengage your mind they don't want you to think with your brain they they everything for the false teacher is about feelings and emotions and how we think God ought to be rather than how he has revealed himself to us in scripture. Anytime you hear a preacher of whatever stripe saying you need to disengage your mind, you just need to go with your heart. Uh, warning signs should be going off everywhere. False teacher, false teacher. The Bible never tells us to do that. Jesus says we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. We are to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 9, I pray that your love would abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. So anytime you hear a preacher, uh, male, female, which <laughs> I hope you're not listening to female preachers because that's a, that's a yet another warning sign, but I digress. Uh, whatever strike, uh, you know you're dealing with a false teacher. A, a true preacher will never tell you to disengage your head. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. The Bible never enjoins us to disengage our minds when it comes to the things of God. So 
But this is very helpful for William Paul Young. Don't think about it. Don't study the scriptures. Just go with your heart. Go with your heart. Sure sign of a false teacher. On page 136, William Paul Young says this. He says, quote, I propose the possibility that hell is not separation from Jesus, but that it is the pain of resisting our salvation in Jesus while not being able to escape him who is true love. I'll resist the temptation to start quoting the little uh, funny little priest in the movie The Princess Bride, one of my my uh, favorite uh, movies, True Love. I'm resisting. It's hard. I'm tempted. So anyway, page 136, he says that hell is not separation from Jesus. It is simply the pain of resisting our salvation in Jesus that he has already secured, whether we want him to or not. Uh, he is everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're Hindu, Buddhist, Hare Krishna, handing out flowers. It doesn't matter uh, who you are, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness. doesn't matter if you're out there worshiping a tree. You're going to be saved. Regardless of what you believe about Jesus, you will be saved. He has, he has, uh, he has saved everyone. It doesn't matter how vile the person is, how unrepentant he is, Adolf Hitler is in heaven, Mussolini is in heaven, Stalin is in heaven, Jack the Ripper is in heaven, Adam Lanza who 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 murdered those children in the in the elementary school a few years ago, he's in heaven. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter that they have no godly sorrow, doesn't matter that they've not repented. Everybody is going to heaven. And he says hell, he acknowledges that the Bible does talk about hell, but he said hell is just the pain of resisting your salvation. It's just you're not enjoying it like you could be enjoying it. So how do we respond to this? Well, we could go to any number of texts. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, verse 41 says this, Then he, Christ, will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I wonder if William Paul Young thinks the devil is in heaven. I guess he does, because the devil is created. Hmm. I don't think he ever really addresses the devil, but I guess he's up in heaven too. But this is very clear, is it not, dear friends? You don't have to be a Greek scholar to see the plain teaching of Christ here in Matthew twenty-five forty-one. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire. Do you think Jesus would call people in heaven accursed? I don't think so. Matthew chapter 3 verse 12 speaks of unquenchable fire. Mark chapter 9 verse 48 says that hell is where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The Bible is very clear that hell is a place. It is a real place where people are eternally separated from God relationally. Eternally separated from God relationally. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that people in hell have no fellowship with God. There is no relationship there. There is no love exchange. They are forever separated from God relationally. They will never know his compassion, his mercies, his love. They're separated from that. However, however, judicially, judicially, they are in the presence of God. 
They are in the presence of Christ judicially. Revelation chapter 14 verses 9 through 11 says, He also will drink of the wine, referring to the, to the unregenerate. They will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. I wonder who Paul Young thinks that's talking about. Doesn't sound like they're in heaven to me. They have no rest day and night. But notice it says they are in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The most terrifying thing about hell is God because he's there. He's, he's there in his mode of judgment. And God will pour out on the ungodly exactly what they deserve. You see, now I'll be honest, friends. I, I don't like to think about hell. When I, when I think about hell, when I contemplate it, my circuit breakers trip, uh, I, I have a hard time. It, it's just, um, I can't comprehend it, nor can I comprehend the bliss of heaven and being in the presence of Jesus Christ for all of eternity. I cannot comprehend that either. But uh, hell is disturbing. It is. And, and I think any of us would be flippant to say that it's not. It is very, very disturbing. But we have to remember, when people sin, when we sin, we sin against an eternal God, eternal God who is infinitely holy. And because we have sinned against the one who is infinitely holy and eternal, then the consequences for that sin are also eternal. And if we die in our sins, then we will very rightly and very justly go to a very real place that the Bible calls hell. And it's not just missing out on what could have been here on earth, missing out on a bunch of warm fuzzies, you know, with God and Jesus and Papa and Sarayu. That, that's not that's not what the Bible describes as hell. Not at all. It's a very real place, and so it's a horrific place. Now, for you and I who are in Christ, this is not something which we should fear. We have... You and I will never be subject to this. You and I will never be subject to the eschatological wrath of God. As Christians, if we sin and continue uh, in sin for a, a season, um, God will discipline us. Hebrews chapter 12, he will do that, but that's not his eschatological wrath. His disciplining of us is done out of love and as part of the process of progressive sanctification, conforming us more and more into the image of Christ, that happens. But hell is not something we should fear. It's not something that should keep us up at night. Only in the sense, if it keeps us up at night, only in the sense that we don't want our friends and family members and um, to go there. We should. Um, there, it is good and right to be concerned for the salvation of those that we are not confident or in Christ, uh, that should keep us up um, and, and keep us on our knees in prayer for them. But uh, it is not something that you and I should fear. All of the all of the babies, all of the children who die at young ages, they go immediately to heaven. 
All of those who have placed it, placed their trust and faith in Christ go immediately to heaven. Hell is not something that we should fear. It should only concern us because others are going there and we want to give them uh, the one thing that will save them from that place, and that is the gospel. That is the gospel. All right. So he's wrong. He's wrong. Keep in mind, Romans chapter 8 is written to believers. You have to look at the original audience. Who was this written to? So it's uh, bad hermeneutics on his part. If your hermeneutics are off, then the conclusions to which you come will also be off. All right. Number 16. The next lie. He says, God is not good. He says, that is a lie. Guess what? That's right. (laughs) On that one, he, he is right. God is good. So it is a lie, indeed, to say that God is not good. Because God is good. Absolutely. There is, as Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, there is only one who is good, and that is God. So yes, he is good. But William Paul Young, really the whole premise of the shack is wrestling with how could a good God allow bad things to happen to good people. Uh, and I won't belabor this this point because uh, we've already dealt with it, that um, God is good, but the question is not why does God allow bad things to happen to good people because there are no good people. The real question is how does God, how is it that God allows good things to happen to bad people? And you and I are bad people. I'm a bad person. You're a bad person because God's standard of goodness is perfection. It is holiness. It is himself. And all of us fall woefully short of that standard. And difference, we have to remember, you know, it is not a good thing as I've said before in this series, it's not a good thing when someone gets sick. It's not a good thing when someone gets cancer or multiple sclerosis. It's not a good thing when someone dies in a car accident. It's not a good thing when wars break out. These are not good things. Um, and for, and we often struggle with why do, for example, kids get sick? The most innocent, uh, the most vulnerable among us. All of us have a, a special uh, uh, compassion and tenderness towards children, and rightfully so, and yet kids get sick. Why does that happen? Why does why would God allow something like that to happen? It is not that everything is good, but God works all things out together for the good. And in God's sovereign decree, dear friends, we can rest assured that he is working out all things for the good and ultimately for his glory. And so we we must keep that in mind. And keep this in mind, too. Who is the ultimate innocent one? Christ. Now, it is true that children, babies and children, young children, have not suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. They have not committed willful, sinful acts, knowing that they're sinning against a thrice holy God. That is true. But they are born with a sin nature. Who is the only one who was not born with a sin nature? The only human being who was not born with a sin nature? Christ. Jesus Christ. What did God do to Christ? He crucified him. Now, men did it, but they only did so because it was, it, as Isaiah says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to put him to grief. And Peter, in his sermon in in the book of Acts, said that Jesus was crucified by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. So if it pleased the Lord to bruise Christ, if it pleased the Lord to put him to grief, if it pleased the Lord for his own 
innocent son to die, then we start there and we work out from it. Then it is not hard to see why God would allow bad things, you know, to happen to quote unquote good people, which we are really not. We rest, as Charles Spurgeon said, the sovereignty of God is the pillow that I lay my head on at night. We rest in God's sovereignty. All right, dear friends, I thought I was going to finish this up this week, but we're going to carry this over for one more day to Monday, and then we will go on to other things. I'm going to interview a friend of mine, Mike Miller, and he's going to give us an update on Pastor Bill from Uganda. I'm looking forward to that. All right, dear friends, thank you very much for joining me. Until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.